I'm Verity Firth, and you're listening to Digital Divides, Season 3 of All Things Equal. Tell me about Matilda. What's Matilda like? Um, Matilda is um, amazing. This is Kate. She's speaking to our producer, Dan Butler. Hi there, Kate. How are you going? Good. How are you? Kate lives in Perth with her family. Owen, who is just 10 months old, and Matilda, who's almost two and a half. She is hilarious at the moment. She's um, just met that wonderful milestone when she thinks that she's hilarious. She makes jokes, most of which I can't understand, and she um, laughs at them. Can you tell me a little bit about receiving Matilda's diagnosis? Um, gosh. I got a phone call saying, oh, can you come in? Tomorrow there has been some abnormalities in her results and um, that was one of the worst moments in my life because at that point on, and, um, I was pretty sure um, I was going to lose my baby. Unfortunately, we got the news that she had San Filippo too, and it was just devastating. San Filippo syndrome is a rare genetic condition. There's less than 100 cases in Australia. Matilda is one of them. There is no cure and no treatment for now. If the genome is the body's blueprint, scientists are learning how to redraw the plans. Our genes are our code, the instructions for making us. There's between 20 to 25,000 genes that make up the human genome. They determine your height, your hair colour, the pigment in your eye, whether you get breast cancer or diabetes or San Filippo. But gene therapies and even genetic editing represent the cutting edge in medical technology and advances are being made at a stunning pace. As we learn ever more about our body's design, there's no telling what decisions we could make about ourselves or how long we could live. Because my biggest hope in life, when it comes down to it, that it is positive that there's something out there that's working. This is, this is one of those science technology that you cannot stop. Um, you're either on board or you're not. On today's episode, the hope for families like Kate's the limits of altering human beings, and the ethics of living forever. Death has always been one of the ways in which we find meaning in our lives. And if we eliminate that, then it changes the way in which we experience the world around us. Over to our producer, Dan Butler. Before I spoke to Kate, I'd never heard of San Filippo syndrome. Maybe you hadn't either. But not all genetic disorders are rare. Some are all too familiar to us. It was quite funny. Well, funny. I was, um, my grandmother died when she was 48. My mother died when she was 48. And I was diagnosed when I was 47 and three quarters. (laughs) Well, you've got a morbid sense of humour, I've got to tell you. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was very glad to see my 49th birthday. <laughs> I'm Dominic Stewart, a journalist. Um, I have four children. I live at the lower end of the Blue Mountains and I was diagnosed with breast cancer almost exactly 20 years ago, uh, just at the beginning of 2000. For Domini, as for many women, the options were limited when it came to treating her breast cancer. Limited and drastic. If my daughter had found at 18 that she was carrying a gene fault, the only thing that they could offer her was surgery to remove her breasts. So it's a... It's not something that you can just have an immunisation for, you know. It's something, it, it's, got, it's got big implications. And I think at, at 18 and even in, well, at any age, it's a big decision to do that, I think. That decision might soon be a thing of the past. Many forms of breast cancer are hereditary, the result of faulty genes it's perfectly placed to be treated by gene therapies, along with any number of other human ailments, HIV, diabetes, even the ageing process itself. In the 20th century, humanity made gargantuan leaps in combating infectious diseases, in some cases eradicating them. The next medical revolution will combat genetic disorders, and it's just around the corner. For San Filippo sufferers like Matilda, it may have come along at just the right time. We're probably one of the first families that have been told, you know, there's no cure, there's no treatment, and that used to be the end of the sentence. And now there's this but. But there are clinical trials starting. There are things going on in the scientific community. And, you know, they're just starting to hit clinical trial phase. And then all of a sudden you've got something that you want to work for your child Matilda is in a race against the clock, a race for her life. Luckily for her, genetic therapies are sprinting alongside her. But for those of us without a degree in molecular biology, how do these treatments work? Take Matilda's case. The body produces an enzyme that breaks down waste in our cells. In children with San Filippo, the genes that control that enzyme never turn on. The waste builds up, causes brain damage and eventually death. Gene therapy supplies a healthy copy of the gene straight into the body. It's that simple. So in terms of, you know, where are we, where we are going and how long that might be, you know, you will be seeing this within the next 10 years, um, definitely. Because it's just going, it's developing so fast. This is Joshua Chow. He's a professor of biomedical engineering at the University of Technology, Sydney. He's doing some of the world's cutting-edge research into biotechnology. He's seen firsthand the quantum leap the genetic therapies have taken. At the forefront of genetic treatments is gene therapy and genetic editing. They sound similar, but they're actually a little bit different. So gene editing is talking about you know, your, your DNA and you know, cutting parts of it out or changing the specific sequence of your DNA. So that's gene editing. So gene therapy is more about you know, de- delivering certain genes um, to, to a specific target um, and, and, for, and to deliver a certain um, therapeutic outcome. With gene therapy, stem cells are taken from the body, given a healthy copy of the gene, grown in a lab and injected back into the problem area, the brain or the bloodstream, for example. With gene editing, now that is truly amazing. The most famous form of gene editing is known as CRISPR, 
The genome is like a book of stories and CRISPR is nothing other than a find and replace function in a word processing uh, application. Merlin Crossley is a professor of molecular biology and the deputy vice-chancellor of the University of New South Wales. The CRISPR gene editing is exciting because it's not just a matter of throwing a replacement gene into the genome, it's now possible to correct the misspelling, the defect in the gene. It's hard to overstate the significance of the technology we've heard about. Everything about your physical being is the result of your DNA, inherited from ancestors. With CRISPR, we can simply cut, and the faulty genes will be gone. But we're not there yet. For now, we still have to carry the genes we're given. Learning you are a carrier can be a complex emotional experience. Well, first of all, uh, concern about my children. My daughter particularly, she was 12. There was a concern about my sons and also if they had children, um, they would need to know. This is the weight our genetic inheritances can give us. They have implications beyond just us. My family in England, um, I had to tell them. And I just felt immensely guilty. It was just so bizarre to, to feel that somehow it was my fault that I could have rained down this catastrophe. And it was nothing to do with me. I mean, you know, obviously it goes further back. But it was one of the most difficult conversations I've had. And here For I Kate and Lachlan, they discovered their genetic heritage too late. Had they known, their plans would have been different. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Mm. The, the, not a shadow of doubt. If I'd known that I was a carrier and Lachlan was a carrier, there was, um, yeah, the, it would have 100% changed the, the way that um, we went about conceiving our family. Gene therapies offer a clear benefit to Dominic and Matilda, sufferers of debilitating diseases. But genetic disorders are responsible for over 4,000 human conditions. And the question of which of those actually require treatment is much more complicated. Coming up after the break, where to draw the line on altering human beings. So the most obvious case is when we are minimising suffering that is the product of something about someone's body. Beyond that, that's where we start to get into murky territory. This is Dr Matt Beard. I'm a fellow at the Ethics Centre in Sydney. For him, gene therapies offer exciting treatments for human suffering, but also pose significant questions around our preconceived notions of suffering. So when you look at something like um, autism spectrum disorder, and, I mean, we still don't know what is actually the causal mechanism that leads to autism spectrum disorder, but let's say that it does sit on the genome in some way that it could be edited or eradicated. Is that a good thing? Is autism spectrum disorder bad? Is someone incapable of living as flourishing a life? Or is this just a different way of experiencing... 
um, what it means to be human. So what's the difference between, um, you know, someone who is non-neurotypical and someone who has kind of a neurological disease or disorder where they would be better off were this to be corrected? And if they would be better off, would they be better off because um, this is genuinely a problem for them? Or would they be better off because it would mean that we didn't have to change stuff about our world? This is one of the most complex aspects of genetic therapies. Our understanding of what it means to suffer or to be quote-unquote sick is subjective and changes over time. Matt cites the example of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual used by doctors to classify what is and isn't a mental disorder. It was only... Um, two iterations of the Diagnostic Statistics Manual ago that homosexuality was considered to be a disorder. Um, So what we're eliminating and what we understand to be problematic changes and shifts and our cultural understandings and our social understandings change as we start to hear more from people who have have those quote-unquote disorders um, and how they experience their lives and we hear from them about their communities um, that changes the way in which we understand these things perhaps the strongest example to look at is um, people who are who are deaf and um, who have built quite a strong community and a sense of identity around that because language is a really important way that we build communities and they have their particular way of um, expressing themselves linguistically through Auslan and things like that. And so the idea of removing that or taking that away um, does start to look like eliminating a particular kind of cultural expression. Um, What are the things that we need to do to ensure that a really important sense of identity and community for a large group of people isn't, isn't being eliminated from the world. The conversation around our understanding of disadvantage and what actually constitutes a negative genetic condition as opposed to a society biased against it needs to happen now because clinical trials of genetic therapies are exploding. But such trials are incredibly expensive, costing millions of dollars. And for normal families like Kate's, that can put a huge barrier between their loved ones and treatment. The access is something that my husband and I have worried about from the minute <laughs> you, you learn about clinical trials, really. I know at the moment uh, a gene therapy drug has been approved for use. It costs $3 million for a single dose. Mm. I would ho- hope that if anything came on the market, money would never be a factor of whether or not Matilda could to get access or not to it, but I'm also a realist and it could be a factor. If it's not put on the PBS, which um, is something that takes a while, it, if she only has a, a short window to of which to access drugs and it's $3 million and the government's not board, on board yet, what do you do? <laughs> Sell everything you own, probably. Money. As is so often the case, The difference between rich and poor can be the difference between life and death. For rare diseases like San Filippo, generating financial interest around a cure can be difficult. Here in Australia, the San Filippo Children's Foundation has been instrumental in getting treatments to trial. To think that there is something out there now that could mean that no other family ever has to go through this again 
it's so big I can hardly fathom it really and it is like gene therapy enzyme replacement all of these studies that are out there at the moment they're just you know there because mm. I think it's so cl I think it will be in her lifetime I just hope that it's in her very long lifetime Kate may well hope that Matilda will be able to enjoy a very long life. Gene therapies will lead to a treatment for all manner of genetic disorders, which leads us to the question, where does it end? Does it end at all? Right now, we have the technology to make me live up to 150 years old. What else can we do to help me live even longer? No one actually dies of old age. We die of a complication or a complication of a complication, the failure of an organ or the body's diminishing ability to replenish itself. These complications are more often than not genetic mutations, which increase with age. But if we can eliminate each mutation, how long can we avoid death? And what does that mean for a planet already under stress? I mean, everyone think about longevity, living forever. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of time. So at some point in time in history, we will reach that level. So, you know, in, in that sense, you know, what do we do about it? You know, there's only yay so much resources on Earth. There's only so much land on Earth. And, and I think it will, in terms of the, not only the, on the personal context, but on the global economy and resource context, it will have significant ramifications as well. And those are things that, I'm hoping that people are already thinking about and planning as well. Hacking the human genome, altering our bodies as we see fit, playing God was always going to pose questions of just what it means to be human. What if we conquer the final frontier? Death has always been one of the ways in which we find meaning in our lives. There are lots of philosophers who say that that's that's exactly what gives our lives meaning. We, we live authentically when we live in light of the fact that we are mortal and that we're going to die. Um, and if we eliminate that, then it changes the way in which we experience the world around us. It changes our motivations and our commitments in a range of different ways. The, yeah, I suppose there's a lot to interrogate there, but there's this underlying assumption that death is inherently bad. Um, and there are some people who will say, yes, death, death is bad. There are other people who say, well, death is only bad when it doesn't come at a moment of your choosing. Um, and some people say, well, no, death, death is not bad at all. It's just is part of the condition that we are thrown into. And our task is not to change that condition. Our task is to engage and wrestle with that condition and to live in light of that. Um, and there are really powerful things that can happen when we actually make peace with our mortality. But for now, people like Kate and Dominie aren't concerned with living forever. Each day is enough. Now I'm sitting here going, please let it actually be a reality. You know, I don't mind if my daughter's in a textbook as, you know, a, a, you know one of the first people that got cured by gene therapy. I'd be more than happy for that to happen. Um, we, have to, we have to start somewhere. <laughs> Thanks for listening to All Things Equal, a collaboration between the Centre for Social Justice and Inclusion at the University of Technology, Sydney, and 2SER 107.3. The podcast is produced by Dan Butler. Thanks to supervising producer Sharon Davis and Amelia Navasquez for sound design support. 2SER sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, 
country that was never ceded. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe or maybe give us a review so other people can find us. I'm Verity Firth. Till next time.